I look at the wheat growing in the fields, and then I think of Ukraine, who will not be harvesting their wheat. And I think of the catastrophic consequences there is for the world. Then I hope for a good wheat crop from Kansas. But then I look at the wheat again and I think spiritually because Jesus talked about the harvest. And I thought if we don't bring in the harvest, a harvest of people, the consequences will be staggering as well. So we come to chapter 14, verse 6 of the book of Revelation. The first parts of the chapter talk about the redeemed who follow the lamb, even though there are beasts ruling on the earth. But while beasts are ruling on the earth, the redeemed, the people of the lamb, are sowing seeds for a future harvest. Jordan Greer We'll be uh, talking about that harvest next week. I'll be on study leave thinking about what I'm going to preach next when this series is over. And so Jordan's going to talk about that final harvest. But today we're in Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 to 13, that tells us what the church and what God is doing before that harvest comes. The scripture is on the screens. Then I saw another angel flying in midair. And he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. A second angel followed and said, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on the forehead or on the hand, he too will drink of the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. He will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the Lamb and the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. There is no rest, day or night, for those who worship the beast in his image, or for anyone who receives the mark of his name. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints who obey God's commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor, for their deeds will follow them. So that's the passage. We're going to work through it verse by verse. So we are going to go back to verse 6. And there we read, Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. That word angel literally means messenger in the Greek. So it could be a literal heavenly being angel or it could be a messenger or more likely it represents the message that the entire church 
takes to every tongue and tribe and language. If we think of it literally, then we're going to think of a, a literal angel flying in the air, going to every tongue, tribe, and nation, and preaching the gospel to them. No, this is a, a metaphorical way of saying the church is going to take the message to the ends of the earth. And this angel announces the gospel or the good news. And good news is good because, well, there's some bad news too. Good news needs a backdrop of bad news. If you went to a doctor who said, you have cancer and we don't have a way to treat it, that's bad news. But suppose you went to MD Anderson in Houston and they said, you know, we've just developed a new treatment. We're having great success with it. You're a candidate for this treatment. You, the prognosis for you is good. All of a sudden, bad news becomes good news. When I was uh, in high school, my family went water skiing on a lake. Uh, my dad had backed up the boat and he had put it in reverse and he was going to come back and get me who was still waiting on the, the, the dock. But another family put their boat on the other side of the dock and had backed away and then I heard some screams from the boat, bad news! And they had forgot to put in one of the plugs on their boat. So the boat started to take on water and started to sink. The good news was the kids on that boat had life preservers. They all jump out. My dad helped nudge their boat back to the dock. Their dad got off the boat, ran and got the trailer, and they pulled that boat out before it sank. Bad news turned into good news. This is the gospel. It's good news because, well, there's some bad news for those who don't receive the gospel. The gospel is this. The good news is this. We can escape the judgment and the wrath of God to come because the death of Jesus atones for our sin. And by faith, that atonement can be ours. Considering the alternative, that's good news. Now we're told that this is an eternal gospel. It's always been part of God's plan. Last week we learned that the lamb was slain before the foundation of the world, that people's names are written in the lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world. This is an eternal gospel. And it's been preached since people were on the earth. Our first parents, when they fell in the Garden of Eden, were delivered a good news message. Your seed, he said to Eve, will crush the serpent's head, even though he will strike his heel. And so from that time on, there's been this offer of grace, 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 come to me and receive grace. This is good news. And this gospel is to be proclaimed to every nation and language. And I'm glad that Eastminster takes this seriously. People will ask me, what's the DNA of Eastminster? What sets you apart from all the other churches in town? I think it's this. We actually invest our interests, our energy, 
our money in taking the gospel message to the ends of the earth. Now in verse 7, we hear a part of the gospel we do not hear often, but it is also part of the gospel. Verse 7, he, that's the angel, said in a loud voice, or this is the message that also needs to go out, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. And so fearing God and worshiping him and giving him glory, that's also part of the gospel. And it needs to be preached because sometimes an error can slip into evangelicalism and the error is this. Accept Jesus and when you die, you'll go to heaven. But what happens in between the time that you accept Jesus and you go to heaven? Well, here's the gospel. Worship God. Give him thanks. Give him glory. If we've really embraced the gospel, it's because our hearts have been regenerated. That means our hearts have been made new. When we realize his grace, we worship him and we give him thanks. When we realize he is Lord, we honor him, we obey him, we fear him, and we want to give him glory. Now this exhortation to give God glory and to worship him, it's not only an exhortation, but it's also a warning. It's a warning to unbelievers. But warnings also are grace, or is grace. My chainsaw comes with warnings. Have the safety on when you start it. Wear eye protection when you use it. Put in the gas-oil mixture for the engine. The chainsaw company wants it to go well with me and the chainsaw. So it gives me warnings. Warnings are grace. And there's a warning that goes out to all the earth. And here's the warning. There's a God. And he will judge the earth. And he judges the earth by his standard. Now, uh, when I think of the judgment, I can look at the rest of the world and think, well, I'm better than most of the world. It'll go well with me. I can look at you and think, hmm, I'm better than a lot of you. It'll go well with me. But that's not the standard. The standard is God's holiness, his measure of pure love. And everything we've done and said, we have to give an account for. Now, when we stand before the Lord and we're giving an account for everything we've said and done, we're thinking, oh, woe is me. Unless there is a, the opportunity for grace and mercy and that we have in the gospel. And so, to the world, there is this extension of grace. But it's an invitation to escape the wrath to come because of the grace of God. Now, when 
verse 8, there's an angel who's going to proclaim judgment on the world system. That angel says, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. This is not literally the city of Babylon. That city was in ruins 200 years before this was written. Rather, it was a code word for those people who received this letter. It was a code word for Rome. And then the churches, church history thereafter, it was a code word for any system that was oppressive or immoral and, and persecuted the church. For the people who heard this letter, could have been Nero, could have been Domitian in the Roman Empire. In every other church age, they had their own beasts to deal with. In our own lifetimes, we have seen a collapse of a world system. We saw the collapse of communism. That was brutal, immoral, oppressive, that persecuted the church. But the fall of that system actually led to a proliferation of the gospel. You know, there's an evangelical church in Russia today. There's an evangelical church in the Ukraine, in Romania, in Poland, in Albania. This happened after the collapse of communism. Because when people's world and people's confidence is in the system and the system collapses, then they start to turn their eyes to the Lord. Fallen, fallen as Babylon the Great is actually God's work to get the gospel out to more people. Now, um, what about the West? We're included in the West. You know, the West and its capitalism has brought prosperity and wealth, and I think that's a good thing. But it's also brought people to idolize money, which is a bad thing. The West was founded on ideas of freedom of expression, but the West produces 95% of the world's pornography and statistics say that more than half the men in the world are addicted to it. It's almost like they're drinking the wine of our maddening adulteries. The West, too, is vulnerable to a fall. And so our confidence must always be in the one true God. When Rome fell, the church actually grew because people's confidence were in the Lord, not in the the Roman system. If God brings down nations for the sake of the gospel, he has done a good thing because God plays an eternal game. What's eternally good is good. Now, verse 9 continues the warning, and it speaks of the consequences of not turning to the Lord. A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, 
If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on the forehead or on the hand, he too will drink of the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. You know, Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath. When he was in the garden of Gethsemane, before he was crucified, Jesus prayed, oh, Lord, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. But no, he had to drink it. It was the cup of God's wrath. And if you want to know what God's wrath looks like, look at Jesus and the suffering. Look at Jesus on the cross. He's absorbed God's wrath if we are his. But some will experience it. And this is the warning. Now, uh, it says, it goes on, he, that person who, who believes in the beast, he'll be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the lamb, and the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. And this is just a horrible image. I mean, you can read through all of scriptures and you're thinking, okay, let me find the worst scene and you're gonna see it here in chapter 14 and what Jordan's gonna preach next week and in this passage here. Torment forever and ever. You know, it's bad enough when your best hope to escape torment is death. But if there's no death, then there is no escape from torment, and it's just hopeless torment forever and ever. And you think, well, well, why would God even allow this to happen? People, if they are the Lord's, are drawn to the Lord. The person who is not drawn to the Lord actually wants to flee God's presence. When your body is dead, you're no longer anchored to the earth. And so your spirit goes where it is drawn. Those who love the Lord are carried by the angels, the gospel say, into the presence of the Lord. Those who are not anchored to the earth anymore, who ran away from God, their soul flees from the presence of God to the outer darkness. And in the outer darkness is the evil one waiting. He's the one who enjoys torment. J.I. Packer says that people who go into torment, God actually allows them to exercise their free will. In this life, they said, I don't want you. I want nothing to do with you. I won't obey you. I won't, you will not be my Lord, and I will not accept your grace. And God says, Okay, okay. And that soul goes to the outer 
darkness where there is torment. Now, this passage is giving us an introduction to the harvest to come. Jordan's going to say there's going to be some who are gathered into the barns. This is the good harvest. And there's some that are going to be left in the field. And they're going to be burned. And so this passage is calling us to do something to affect the harvest. Now, I suppose there's a few responses you could have. A person could say, well, okay, so some people go to torment. I don't care. Some people could say, I don't want to think about it. I don't want to think about it. And they don't think about it. Others think, wow, there are people I know. There are people I love. I at least need to tell them so on the last day. I don't hear from them saying, why didn't you even tell me? And so there's a role for the church to play to take the word of grace to the ends of the street and to the ends of the earth. Everyone we bring to Christ is a person who escapes torment. And if we don't believe that, then let's just say, okay, you don't need Jesus to be saved. Jesus doesn't matter. But if Jesus doesn't matter, then why would he tell his church throughout all the ages to remain faithful to me, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, even if it means prison and death for you. What kind of cruel person would send people to their death for the sake of a message if it didn't matter? Here's what it meant for the people living during the time of this letter. The emperor wanted them to worship the emperor and to burn incense to the emperor and to say, Caesar is Lord. And in some regions, you'd got a a tattoo on your hand or your forehead if you did that. So let's suppose you don't. You think, no, Jesus is Lord, I'm not going to do that. And so you uh, go back home and the union you're a part of says, you don't have the mark. You're not in the union anymore. And now you've lost your income. Or maybe you're a shopkeeper and the people in the village say, you don't have the mark, I'm not going to be your customer anymore, and now you're losing business. In some areas, the mayor doesn't like you, and so he just throws you in prison. And in some areas, the governor just wants you gone because you're not loyal to the emperor and you're a possible troublemaker, so they were killed. What did Jesus say to the church in those days? Hey guys, I know you don't believe that Caesar is Lord. Go ahead and say Caesar is Lord. Go ahead and burn incense to him. Compromise. And save yourself. But that's not what Jesus said. 
said, some of you will go to prison. Some of you will suffer loss. Some of you will die. And so he gives this assurance in, in verse 12, because that's a possibility for the people of God. He says, this calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints who obey God's commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. And this passage is here because there is temptation to compromise. And so Jesus assures the people who belong to him. Verse 13 says, Then I heard a voice from heaven say, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Now, uh, now on is from the time of the ascension. Verse 14 begins with, I've installed my king on Zion, or I saw the lamb standing on Zion. That means Jesus is enthroned. Uh, the Nicene Creed says he ascended to the right hand of the Father. That's a place of authority. The book of Ephesians says that when Jesus ascended into heaven, he led in his train a host of captives. These are all the Old Testament saints that were waiting for the Messiah. Heaven wasn't opened up to them until the ascension. But everyone who dies in the Lord from then on, well, they're blessed. Whether you're part of the persecuted church or whether you're part of the church that's not persecuted. For the persecuted church, it's death is not something to fear. You'll be blessed. For those of us who are not part of the persecuted church, isn't it a blessing knowing that you have loved ones who died in the Lord? Know anyone who died in the Lord? The voice from heaven, that's the voice of God, says, blessed are they. And then the Spirit answers back, yes, or amen in the Greek or in Hebrew. Amen, says the Spirit. They are blessed in the Lord. And they'll rest from their labor, and their deeds will follow them. Now, this rest from their labor is rest from their troubles, their labors, their struggles. And if you lived long, life long enough, yeah, there's some struggles. It's laborious. There's rest. And the Spirit says their deeds follow after them. Think of it as a wake left by a boat. Some boats, pet, 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 leave a little wake. Some boats leave a big wake. And here's the wake we leave. All the people we blessed. The kids we taught in Sunday school who came to Christ because of your labor. Those young people that you were a, a volunteer for who came to Christ, that's, that's following behind you. The neighbor that you witnessed to and now... Um, serves the Lord. That's part of it. That missionary that you supported through your tithes and offerings and then they shared the gospel with someone else uh, on the other side of the earth. All those people are following behind you in your train and in your wake. 
As long as we have breath, we have an opportunity to leave behind us a wake of blessing because those follow after us. Blessed are those who die in the Lord. They cease from their labors. And those who truly serve the Lord and gave him glory behind them is a wake of blessing they leave behind and it actually is part of what they take to heaven with them. Now this passage contrasts two extremes. The rest and the blessings of those who belong to the Lord and the torment of those who reject him. Jesus is savior and judge. Jesus is a bringer of amazing grace. But he is also the judge who is holding back his wrath for an appointed time. But the appointed time will come and he will visit his wrath upon the earth. The early church used to create images of Christ to help illiterate believers um, see truths about him. This is called the Sinai uh, Pantocrator. But you see an image of Jesus. But the image communicates truths about him. If we cover up one part of the image, you're going to see Jesus, the bearer of grace and blessing. His fingers are, are in the position of blessing. You see his kindness. On the other side, you see Jesus with the books of the law and uh, a face of judgment and even indignation. Let's go back to the whole image. Jesus is both savior of grace, but also the judge of all the earth that will give the earth its due. And because he is both, we his followers, we his church, bear a message of grace. Come, escape the wrath to come. Because in the end, the wrath will come. And there will be a harvest of both. <laughs>